Where are we going to be in the word this morning? All right, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not look, neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Amen. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the ways that we have already experienced um, you this morning. We thank you for the gift of children who will lead us and who lead us in the way that only children can. Thank you for the treasure uh, that they are. God, as we open your word this morning, we pray that it would be, as it says of itself, living and active, that you would use it to penetrate us to the deepest parts of who we are, that we would not leave this place unchanged. I pray that we would consider how we would respond, whether that is a response of offering our, our treasure, our, our time, the gifts that you've given us to you. I pray that you would be honored and pleased in what we offer, that it would be an act of worship to you. God, I pray that you would inspire us um, through your word. You would challenge us through your word. Whatever may hinder us from hearing your voice, I pray that you would help us to recognize those things and lay them at your feet. God, I pray that as I open my mouth, it's not my words that are heard, but yours. It's in the name and the hope of Jesus that we pray these things, God, for our good and for your glory and for the benefit of this world around us. Amen. So I have been known uh, to dabble in social media. I do not have a TikTok channel, so you will not find me dancing and posting uh, TikTok dances uh, but I remember when I was uh, in youth ministry and all of the high school students got to have Facebook, I was like, how come, why do I have to be in high, like school to have Facebook? Why can't I have Facebook? And now Facebook's not cool because only adults use it. But at the time, it was cool because I couldn't have it, right? Uh, and then there was Instagram, which is probably my favorite, just easy to post pictures of life and what's going on there. However, uh, a, a newer, um, and, and I, listen, I'm going to just full confession, I have Snapchat because my oldest son has it. I'm not, still not sure, I don't, it's really, I'm not a Snapchat user, like I, it's lost on me. So don't, don't add me because I probably won't accept your friend request. It's nothing personal, it's just that I don't use it. But um, a newer uh, social media app has, has kind of come on the scene and it's called Be Real. And one of the former GoPro uh, executives and designers has developed this app. And, and I just want to read a couple of things about it from an article uh, that, that I found about Be Real. <clears throat> and it's, it has already made significant waves since it was introduced in January of 2020. And I'm not sure where it's been between then and now, but I'm, I'm just learning about it, which is pretty typical. Uh, but 
Since January of this year, Be Real's monthly active users have grown by 315%. And in the six months that we've already had, 65% of the lifetime downloads of this app have, have already happened. And here's why. This app has been pitched as an authentic, unfiltered alternative to the curated posts of Instagram and TikTok. In fact, it is said that if you are... If you seek to be an influencer, then you can, you can stay on, on TikTok and Instagram because Be Real is not the app for you. And, and the way that it works is that you are, you are sent a reminder one time a day at some point during the day to, to post. And, and it, you, you hold your phone up and it takes a picture with the, the rear camera, which is whatever you're looking at, and then it takes a picture of you and that's it. And you don't get to doctor it. You don't get to put filters on it. You do have the opportunity to retake the picture, but you don't get to change it in any way. And then that's out there. And the only way that you can see what other people post is if you're willing to post yourself. So you can't just be a voyeur. Like you can't just look in on other people's lives without being willing to share what your own life is. And the idea is that you're presenting in that moment an authentic picture of what you're doing, what you're seeing, and, and you know, I guess, how, how that, you know, feels to you. And it, it truly, it, it's something that, that I, that I, again, I've, I've been kind of drawn to because I'm curious why another social media app, but the idea that you only post one picture a day and it has to be what's, what you're doing in that moment, ideally. I mean, you can post late, but it's still in that moment, whatever it is that you're doing. And the hope is that, that you begin to remove these things that are not authentic, these things that are fake, these things that are, um, that are filtered, these, you know, creating and presenting life the way that you want people to see it. It's an authentic look into uh, people's lives. Now, even as I say that, I know I hear my wife's voice in my head. She's like, why do, you, why do we need to do that? Why don't you just pick up the phone and call somebody if you want to know what's going on in their life? You will, you will not find her on social media, although I'm like, your oldest son's about to leave for college. You're probably going to want to know what he's doing, so you might want to like create an account so you can look in on him. She's like, no, I'll pick up the phone and call him. Uh, he may or may not answer. Um, <clears throat> authentic and unfiltered. Our, our radar for things that are inauthentic is really high when you consider how quick we are to call out those things and those people that we feel like are inauthentic or are fake whether that is a person, whether that is what someone is saying, whether it is, uh, you know, an, an opportunity that may come along. If it's too good to be true, it is probably too good to be true. And, and yet I wonder how many of us are as concerned with the inauthenticity of the world around us as we are with whether or not the faith that we are seeking to live is an authentic faith. Are, are we seeking to follow Jesus in a way that we become an authentic representation of him for this world around us? Because that's what Paul promises is, gonna, is going to happen in his second letter to the church in Corinth. He, he talks about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Where the Spirit is, there is freedom and, and there is transformation. And the thing that the Spirit is doing is, is making us more like Christ in his letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, in, in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ, that we are in this process. And, and Paul 
will say later in that same letter to the church in Philippi, with fear and trembling, work out your salvation. That means that you are to have a stake in your salvation, in your journey with Christ. You are to have an investment in that journey. Because God has an investment in your journey with him. And the work of the Holy Spirit is that you become more like Jesus. So I wonder if we are so concerned about the inauthenticity of, of the world around us or whether or not something is, has integrity or is authentic, are we willing to then hold the mirror up to ourselves and ask the question, is my faith authentic? Or am I just going through the motions? Am I just checking a box? Am I here on Sunday morning because that is the thing that I am supposed to do? Or does it really mean something for my life? When I sing words like, like uh, Sarah led us in this morning, new wine, make me a vessel, make me an offering. God, would you bring something new out of me? Are we really willing to pray that? Because I think that that can be a dangerous prayer. Like for us to offer up a prayer like that, God is like, okay, now we can get to work. God's heart, God's desire Yes, is that we, we, are, we live into this promise that, that Jesus makes in John 10.10. 10. I have come that they may have life and have, to, have it to the full. But a full life that Jesus is offering is not more stuff. It's not more of what this world has to offer us. It is more of Him. And when there is more of Him, there becomes less of us. And our faith begins to look authentic because we become an authentic representation of Jesus for this world around us. And friends, I don't know that it has ever been more apparent, but this world is desperate for an authentic understanding of who Jesus is and what is possible in life with him. And the church, the church is still God's plan for that message to go out. And I wonder how we are living into that. So Timothy is one of the young men whose life was transformed by the ministry of, of Paul and someone who Paul recognized great promise in and someone who Paul in, invested in, and which I think begs the question, uh, for those of you who consider yourselves followers of Jesus, how are you investing in the next generation? How are you investing in those who would, who would come behind you? I see Ben investing in, in the next generation by, by giving them the opportunity to lead. I see um, Danae and her work with, uh, with students, middle school and high school students, investing in the next generation, giving them the opportunity to lead. We'll celebrate Colette this morning who has poured her life out in investing in the next generation and showing them what it means and what it can look like to follow uh, Jesus. One of our values as a church is next generation now, and that is that we don't have to wait for the next generation to grow up before they are leading us. If we pay attention, we realize that they're leading us now. The problem is that we don't do a very good job of paying attention. So Timothy is someone whom Paul has, has invested in. And what we find here is that Timothy has been sent to the church in Ephesus to do some pastoral work because the church in Ephesus has allowed some false teachers to come in and, and to begin to teach things that are incorrect and incongruent with the heart of Jesus and, they're, and they're, that are leading people astray. They had some strange ideas about marriage. They had some strange ideas about foods that could be eaten. And so Paul catches wind of this and he's like, mm, who do I want to go? I'm, Timothy's my guy. I need, I need him to go. And so Timothy is sent and then 
not long after Timothy arrives, he has sent a letter from Paul with some encouragement and some instruction. Hey, here's how you need to handle this situation. And then in chapter 4, we see this kind of drilling down into Timothy's heart. Because the work that he's been sent to do is not easy. And Paul, in his wisdom, kind of saw the potential for this. That wherever God is doing a work, wherever the, the fruit is being born for the kingdom, the enemy is always going to be there working against that. And so, in Acts chapter 20, if you were to, to turn there, um, my heading for this section says, Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. So, this is a church that Paul cares very deeply for and has a great um, vested interest in, a church that he has, has planted and has groomed and has helped to shape uh, and, you know, by the Holy Spirit working through him. And as he's preparing to leave them, he says these words, Acts 20, beginning with verse 27, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. He's like, I didn't hold back. I did everything that God sent me to do. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Man, what, that's not really a, like a pat on the back, you know, kind of warning. And yet, one of the things that Paul was blessed with because of his heart for God and because of the way that he, he continued to, to pour himself into learning and understanding the things of God, one of the things that God blessed him with was wisdom and his ability to see how the world is at work around and in the midst of the church and to know that after he departed that there were those who were just waiting for the opportunity to come in and to begin to pick off the weak among them by saying things that maybe sounded a little bit easier or maybe sounded a little bit better. I think one of the things that we have become experts in is, is creating a gospel that suits our needs, that sounds much easier to, to take and, and to hold and sounds like it's going to be um, less risky. Maybe it's going to be less costly for us. We're not going to have to give as much of our life. We're not going to have to pick up, pick up our cross, as Jesus says, or we're not going to have to die daily to ourselves. Maybe, maybe if we just allow him to wound us a little bit. And, and, and Paul knows that the propensity for that existed then and the propensity for that exists now. And so he's warning the elders in Ephesus, this is going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's going to happen when I leave. Because of what God is doing in the church in Ephesus, there is an enemy who is going to come against that. And it's probably going to be from your own midst. And so he finds that this is happening just as he said it, it would, and, and he sends Timothy. And he sends the letter along with him, and we pick up, in, in chapter 4 this morning as we're continuing in our series, and a little child shall lead them. Verse 12 is perhaps a verse that you have heard maybe when you are younger. It's one of the things that, that we, we loved for our youth to hear when I was doing uh, youth ministry years ago. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith 
and impurity. So after Paul has given some instruction in the way that Timothy ought to oppose these false teachers, he's giving Timothy some encouragement here in his own ministry. If you were to to back up before that, you see in verse 7, have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So he's charging Timothy to pay attention to how he's taking care of him, of himself, not physically, but how he's taking care of his heart. Now, what we, and I say this often in here, but what we have to understand about Scripture is that this was written to a specific person, and sometimes it's to a specific people group, at a specific time for a specific purpose. It was written to Timothy. But it's written for all who would read it. Now, Timothy doesn't read this letter that has been sent to him in in a vacuum. Right? He leads it in the hearing of the others who are a part of the church of Ephesus, the other leaders who are a part of the church of Ephesus, the other people who make up the body that is the church in Ephesus. Because one of the things that happens when Timothy reads these words in the hearing of those around him is that he is now subjecting himself to be held accountable. Right? And I was telling our, our worship team this morning, we were talking after they had, after they had run through this, uh, their, their songs for this morning. I was like, this is, this is really tough because I feel like as someone who has been called to a pastoral role, this is written for Vern. And so as I'm preparing this, I'm like, oh. Gosh, God, could we, could we not have had like a fastball just straight down the middle that's way easier to just knock these things out of, out of the park? Instead, I, I get to wrestle with, how am I living into this? But that if this is being read in the context of the church, then the church gets to listen and say, ooh, are we caring for our hearts? Are we giving as much attention to our spiritual health as we are to our physical health? And so here in chapter 4, we read these words that maybe are familiar. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. And I think many of us tend to stop there. Now, Timothy wasn't a teenager. Like he's writing to a man that it's believed was at least 30 years old. So young comparatively, but some of you who are younger than 30 would say, ooh, that's the first big zero, really. Like 30, you're, you're marching on at that point. You know, some of us are like, I would give anything to be 30 again. Right, I'm at the point now where I wake up injured for no apparent reason. Like I somehow hurt myself in my sleep by just sleeping. I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I, I'm at, now in this point, this constant wrestling match where my mind is like, you're still in your early 20s. You're fine. My body's like, stop listening to him. You're not anymore. You can't do the things that you used to do. But we want, we want to stop at, don't let anyone look down on you, or you because you are young. Why? Because that allows us to draw a line at the sand, in the sand and say, all right, come at me. Right? If, you, if you're a person who you know, raises your kids in such a way, you're like, hey, do not let, no one gets to pick on you. Or you know, like an older brother to a younger brother, hey, nobody gets to beat you up except me. And I, I'm just, it's just for your own good. I'm just trying to toughen you up. Like, Gresh used to wrestle with Braden, and we'd be like, dude, I wouldn't. Man, one day, he's going to realize how strong he is, and it's going to come back to bite you. So far, that day hadn't come, but it's still coming. I believe it. 
I believe in you, Braden. Um, <clears throat> what Paul is not saying to Timothy, hey, Timothy, draw a line in the sand. It's time to put the gloves on. You need to stop letting people pick on you and look down on you because you're young. It's not permission to fight. It is instruction in the way that he is to live. Live your life in such a way that there is nothing that can be spoken against you. Now, what we have to say out of the gate is that we cannot control other people's responses. And yet so many of us spend a great deal of time trying to mitigate the responses of others to our decisions and to our lives. I hope and I pray, as we will see in just a moment, that you do have people that you have invited to speak into your life and to encourage you and to challenge you. When the body is at its best, all of us should have that. But, but Paul is not saying, hey, it's, it's time for you to pick up the gloves and fight. He's saying, I need you to pay attention to the way that you're living your life. You need to live your life in such a way that even though you are younger than some of the elders and some of these men that you have gone, been sent to challenge, live your life in such a way before the Lord that there's nothing that they can say against you about your character. Live your life in a way that is authentic to the person of Jesus and to his gospel. For many of us, that is probably where we need to stop and be challenged. Because we've become really good at presenting a life that looks a certain way. Where if we were to back up, we would say, yeah, but my heart really is not healthy. I haven't given the attention to the health of my heart and my spirit that I need to. Because I've been so worried about what other people see and about the, the physical appearance or about what I'm presenting and the, the altered or filtered version of that. When the instruction that Paul is giving to Timothy here, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in your speech, in your conduct, in love, in faith, and impurity. Live a life that is an authentic representation of Jesus. The words that come out of your mouth, are they a reflection of who Jesus is? We'd say, yeah, I mean, hopefully in my good moments, yeah. What about in the moments when you're frustrated? What about in the moments where you disagree with someone? What about in the moments where someone pulls out in front of you and you're in a hurry to get somewhere that you should have left for 15 minutes sooner? What about in the moments when you feel like you are being attacked and you need to stand up for yourself? Is your speech and your conduct in that moment a, an authentic representation of who Jesus is? Are you loving in a way that is an authentic representation of who Jesus is? Jesus, who as he was being crucified, cried out, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. Willing in that moment to show grace and to love and to ask for mercy. It doesn't mean that you live your life as a doormat. But it means that you trust that the God of creation is the defender of your cause that your chief aim 
is to glorify Him. Your chief aim is to pursue His heart, not the approval of others. Your chief aim is to give Him control of your, not, your life, not those around you who would seek to control you and seek to have opinions of you. And people don't like it when we choose the way of Christ versus the way of the world. The world is always going to fight against that. And yet God is the one who is our defender in that. Set an example in faith and in purity. And in purity, one of the ways that we translate and understand that word is in authenticity. In the way that you live a life that is authentic. An authentic representation of Jesus. Now, does that mean that you have to live your life perfectly? Absolutely not. Because every single one of us would fail. Maybe 10 minutes after we walk out the door and we can't decide where to go to lunch and so we get an argument about it. An authentic faith is a faith that is willing to say, you know what, I am I have brokenness in my life, and I am still tempted, and I am still affected by sin, and I am still affected by the brokenness of this world, and I have strong feelings about it, and I allow these things to throw me off track, and I get distracted by this. An authentic faith is a faith that says, I, I, all of those things are true about me, and yet the thing that is also true about me is that It's nothing that I can do or have done that gives me a seat at the table. It is only the merit of Jesus that gives me a seat at the table. It is only the merit of Jesus that allows me to call myself His. It's only the merit of Jesus that allows me to serve in the way that God has called me to serve. It's only the merit of Jesus that I am able to stand to proclaim that I have this hope. It's not because of my life. It's not because of how put together my life is. It's because of who Jesus is and what he has done for me. An authentic faith owns your weakness and points to the one who is strong in the midst of it. An authentic faith owns your brokenness And points to the one who's working to make you whole. Authentic faith points to your sin. And says, but I know the one who has forgiven me. And his name is Jesus. Let me tell you what he has done in my life. Paul goes on to say, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture Spend time in the company of others reading, the God's, reading God's Word. We, we do that here and now, but what does life look like for you in relation to Scripture the other six days of the week when we're not gathered together in this space? Devote yourself to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift. Jeff last week talked about this calling and answering the call that each and every one of you has been gifted in a unique way. Each and every one of you has been gifted in a way that is meant to serve the kingdom, that is meant to be a part of seeing God's kingdom grow and advance in this world. Don't neglect that gift. 
It was given to you through prophecy, and that is simply seeing the recognition of where God is at work and calling attention to that. Not prophecy like I'm going to foretell the future, but, but what Timothy experienced um, in his calling was that the elders recognized, and hey, there's something about this guy. Maybe he doesn't see it, but we see it, and we want to call attention to it so that he, he can begin to live into it. Don't neglect your gift that was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. And then finally, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Pay attention to the work that God is doing and longs to do in your heart. Maybe for some of us, it's that we need to stop paying attention to the lives of people around us because it is costing us the ability to pay attention to our own lives. I'm not saying ignore the lives of people around you. I'm just saying maybe the first thing that we go to in the morning should not be the phone and then check the social media feeds and see what everybody else is doing or what they did last night. Be diligent in paying attention to your heart. Now, as we consider this series that we're in and we'll wrap up next week, one of the things that we see from children in this is that they are quick to pay attention to what's happening in their hearts. They know it. They see it. They feel it. And they're willing to share it. It is we who teach them that they ought to hide that from the world. God, forgive us for that. Maybe like children, we need to become more vulnerable and more honest about where we are and what we're feeling. Maybe it's one of those ways that we need to see, hey, kids are leading us. Younger generations are leading us because they are learning to have voice and give voice to what it is that they're feeling, to give voice to the condition of their hearts. Maybe for some of us, it's to go before the Lord and to go before those people who care about us and to say, hey, my heart is not well right now. Would you pray with me and pray for me? Because I want my faith to be authentic. I want to be diligent in the things of the Lord. And yet I've allowed all of these other things to throw me off course. Friends, this doesn't happen in a vacuum. These words weren't read or written to Timothy in a vacuum so that he takes it to his study and pours over it. And he's like, well, maybe I can just give them the abridged version of this and not let them into the things that I really need to work on. No, this was read in community, in the context of community, in the hearing of others so that Timothy's life is laid bare and now he has people around him who can hold him accountable and who can challenge him. I want to close by giving us an opportunity to hear, um, to see a video just a couple minutes long from one of our students, one of our seniors actually, uh, Katie Donatio. And, and it's just a testimony of what her time in, in youth has meant. Gosh, probably, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years ago, I don't, I don't remember when, but when I was doing youth ministry, we felt this just kind of nudging from the Lord that we needed to shift the way we were doing youth ministry. We, we went from being program-driven to being small group-driven, and that's something that, that Andy took up after me and that, that Ben continued on and that Danae is, is pouring herself into because it's where transformation happens and where students are able to be cared for in a way that is authentic and encouraged in a way that is authentic to live a faith that is authentic. And it's one of the things that, that we have many adults in our midst who are a part of that. But as a church, I can tell you that an emphasis for us in the coming year is to have more people connected in community. I love that this room is full of people. And I, I'd, I'd take 200 more in here on a Sunday morning. 
Andy Stanley likes to say that, that formation can happen in rows, but transformation happens in circles. When we're encouraged and challenged by those who are invested in us to live a faith that's authentic. So let's take, um, let's take a look at this video, and then I'll just invite uh, Ben, if you want to just invite us to stand, and we'll continue in worship. Hi, my name is Katie Tignadio, and I am a senior graduating from Watauga High School. I serve as the youth representative on church council here at Bean United Methodist. I have been involved in church for 18 years now. I was involved in confirmation, which is where I accepted the Lord and got reconfirmed at Valley Cruces Park. My prayer partner, Tracy Smith, and Madison Haller, my mentor, had a great impact on my journey as well. Growing up, my sister, who is two years older than me, always looked forward to Sunday nights. I loved to sit down and listen to her share stories about her experiences in confirmation and youth. After I got reconfirmed, I was then involved in the BMUMC youth group. This youth group wasn't just a regular youth group to me. This is where I found my family through Christ. I made many new relationships through this experience, and I will hold those close to my heart. I got to worship in many different ways, one being singing in the youth group. Ben Fitzgerald reached out to me and one of my peers and invited us to sing. I grew in many different ways through this experience. From the youth retreats, lock-ins, monster nights, and many other great memories, I will forever call this youth group my family. Winter weekend was a time that stuck out to me the most. My sister and I loved to worship together. At this retreat, we let go of everything and focused on one another in our relationship with Christ. We found ourselves walking the path that Christ laid out for us together. Over the past six years, our small group girls leader, Kirsten Groover was amazing. Kirsten taught me many different things that I will treasure forever. Her and her husband, Christian Covington, have been great role models for me and have helped me walk my path with Christ. I will always treasure these memories in the youth group and the positive environment that was set here for me at this church. Thank you to everyone who has made this experiment experience impactful for me and my family.